because the second you take your foot off the gas and stop being proactive and engaged with what you're doing, I, I don't think you're going to be as happy, you know, like I, and cause it can change at any time. Like I know friends who've been leads, leads on series, like center of the poster on a series. And then they're back to like doing their day job or whatever. Oh yeah. And you must've thought at one point, like, this is it. Like, here we go. Like on my way. And then back and because, yeah, I mean this, like you have this industry owes you nothing. <laughs> Yeah, which is the the scary thing, as opposed to like a tradesperson. If you become a plumber, an apprentice plumber, and then you join a plumbing company, and then you uh, go on travel as a journeyman, and then you come back, and then you start your own company, and then you start your own like boutique plumbing company. You just do high end high rises, or and then you just do like mansions. You know what I mean? Like, you will the the value you put in, or the time you put in, you will become more more valuable more specialized in, in what you do. And we still do that as actors, we get more experience for sure. And that definitely helps. But in terms of converting that into a long standing career, like there's a lot of that that's not in our control. This is Way of the Artist with Brandon Colby Cook and Evan Schulte. Identifying your blocks and demystifying your struggles so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art. Hello, 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 everybody. We've got a fantastic podcast for you today. We have a terrific guest who I'm really excited to finally have on the show, not just because he's a person who I think is going to have a lot to share with us, but also because uh, he's someone who's been uh, sort of in like, we've, we've been in the same circles for many, many, many years um, and never really had really had a conversation with each other, you know, in depth about something, but you know, he was in a in a short film that my wife wrote. Uh, we were also in a web series uh, in the same web series together a while back. We also were in an um, an indie movie many years back called Robot Love. So like we've been, <laughs> we've had yeah. all of these like interesting right. little uh, things that we've been a part of, um, but just never really uh, connected uh, in a in a big way. So uh, excited to have Brendan Taylor on. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is a seasoned actor of screen and stage, uh, and he fell in love with acting in high school and trained diligently in theater, eventually leading to the formation of a theater company with some friends. Uh, while he was training and putting up plays, he also spent a decade working behind the scenes in set deck, uh, working in multiple TV shows and feature films around the lower mainland in Vancouver, for uh, anyone who doesn't know. We just call it the lower mainland, and we just know... Um, to him, film is a second home. He was able to make the full-time switch to acting in 2015, working in commercials, TV, film, voiceover. He loves doing all of them equally as much um, and still makes time to get onto the live stage. He has starred in TV, show, TV shows such as Fargo, Bates Motel, Arrow, and has had recurring roles on Supernatural, The Magicians, 
you can spot him in uh, a number of commercials. Uh, he's also in Firefly Lane on Netflix, which is currently shooting its second season in a supporting role opposite Sarah Chalk and Katherine Heigl. Brendan also works as a private acting coach in person and on Skype and operates a self-tape service for actors in downtown Vancouver. So, that's a list of, of incredible skills, but uh, uh, it's great to have you on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, where do we even, where do we even begin exactly? <laughs> I mean, uh, let's just talk about acting. That seems like the natural thing for us to to get into i think that's like sort yeah. of a common thread for <clears throat> all three of us um mm -hmm. in there so um what do you think what do you think an actor does <laughs> <laughs> what do i think an actor <laughs> does um well i mean i think an actor has uh the privilege of telling stories that they uh that are not theirs um it is a privilege i think because these stories um can be characters of care for by characters belonging to characters that may or may not be uh real um but i think the one thing that connects us all as people as humans um is the human experience and we have no points of reference without stories from others otherwise i think we would all go crazy <laughs> um with this whatever's happening in our heads you know what i mean and it's the the efficiency and the um the way that those stories are told through whatever medium we choose uh, to create that picture for the listener, the viewer, et cetera, um, that connects us and grounds us as, as people. Yeah, I, think that's, I, think, I think that's my definition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, I, it was a pretty, like, I, I, that was a pretty loaded, uh, initial question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of ground to cover with that one. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I think it's, I think it's often, <clears throat> excuse me, if you want to edit out the throat clearing, that's fine. <laughs> no, uh, um, <laughs> oh, okay. There we go. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's often a, a, a thing that actors say, but like storytelling, telling story, that's sort of like the foremost thing, but I do think that it is, um, uh, I, I think it is a, a gift, a privilege to be able to to do it when when you're asked to, um, or when you offer it, and and it's your duty as an actor to do it well. Um, as soon as it becomes about you, as the actor, you failed, and also what you're doing is probably really shitty. Sorry, mm -hmm. I don't know if we can say that, but you know, it's probably uh, not something that I certainly wanted to see. Um, so I think you know whether it's good times or sad times or whatever, um, you're representing all of the people that have gone through that, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. So uh, you, you, you have to step up. 
and, and make sure that it's good. <laughs> so, yeah. That's really beautiful. Um, do you, mm-hmm. do you like for you, you had this awareness, right? That like mm-hmm. acting is not about you, but I think mm-hmm. all actors, at least most go through a bit of a stage of ego, right? They go through a stage of like, they, they're doing it maybe for themselves or maybe they're doing it for the wrong reasons, or maybe they're not clear on why they're doing it yet or what service they're actually providing. Because I think there's, um, I think artists in all mediums kind of struggle with this. Sometimes, you know, I think artists don't realize that they are as necessary as they actually are. Um, what do you think, when did the transition happen for you? How did it happen for you to realize this kind of awareness that you, you know, you got to kind of bring it and it's, it's, it's more than just about you. There's a responsibility. Like what, what happened or can you enlighten us? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think when I think back to, so, I mean, I started in high school, I started, um, in element or not, not high school. Uh, yes. Uh, beginning of high school for me, it was grade seven. My high school started in grade seven and, uh, we had, uh, uh electives like drama electives and i did drama seven and for whatever reason my sort of um love of filmmaking film watching and movies and cartoons and everything kind of came together in this thing called that i called acting that i had never really sort of touched on and and throughout high school i um it was just my kind of easy a it was like the thing that i uh, was drawn to and i was a very very shy kid um and acting and it's i think it's pretty common with actors to be sort of introverted and find this sort of freedom in 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 other characters and people and i have a uh footage of like this the play that i did in in grade 12 uh our sort of big play i was a lead in it and it was uh, the real inspector hound by tom stoppard um and uh very wordy play it was a it's a sort of comedy murder mystery thing where the these two crusty old uh, uh, theater critics are watching this murder mystery play. And at some point they kind of enter the play and then characters from the play end up being in the critic seats. And it's a sort of messy, sort of fun thing and, and always age inappropriate. I know schools like to do that. Like, I guess you can't <laughs> find plays with like with 12, like 18 year olds. So we're always playing like 65 year old men when we're yeah. 18. And just put you know great stuff in your hair whatever yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was really fun it was fun and it felt and watching me this so there's someone took some video of this and i have it somewhere but i, I can see myself i i've done this a lot enough where i can like you know look at actors and sort of gauge whether they're connected to what it is that they're doing and watching myself is very interesting because i see this kid who very much has really good impulses and instincts and oftentimes is connected, but he's wavering in and out of what it is that he's uh, connected to. So there were some natural sort of skills there, but if you were to ask me what it is I was doing, I had no idea. I thought I was like, I kind of liked the, I guess I, I liked that I can make people laugh. I liked that I had some sense of humor that I feel like I could bring to it. Um, and it was fun. So it was really for me at the time. And, um, but I was pretty aware of what was happening to me. And I also knew that there's so many like 
fancy words in that play and they use especially these they're 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 literally pretentious theater critics so they use all this like fancy words and references to all the you know uh old playwrights and things like that but when i'm listening to myself this or watching this character he has no idea who any of these people are he has no idea what these words mean but he knows that they sound good <laughs> and i suppose i i guess maybe it's a bad example because maybe it kind of worked for that character to be honest because he had no idea but still i mean you should yeah. always know what it is that you're saying and connected to so i think i guess my explanation of that is yeah i i, I uh had a it was kind of for me because i was having fun but i think it was and then i went to ubc i did a bunch of other stuff i did apply for the bfa in theater and i just bombed my audition uh <laughs> and i did well in the first reading i had to do, bring a monologue and i remember it specifically because <clears throat> it's useful to think about and the next and they were intrigued they're like yeah okay that was good whatever you kind of i prepared something and then he's like, okay, like do that again. I don't remember what the monologue was. He's like, the the teacher, whoever is doing, he's like, do that again, but like keep me in the room. Like convince me with your words to stay in the room. And we're in this like rehearsal space, one of the theaters, EBC. And I start to deliver the monologue to him. And he's sort of wandering out the door. He sort of stops every once in a while. And I say something, he keeps going, and he keeps going. And I couldn't, uh, I couldn't keep up. I didn't know what I was saying. I was too distracted by the fact that the person I was talking to was exiting the room versus being connected to what I was saying as the character, which was important, whatever that was, and not doing the instruction of keeping him in, in the room with my words. And I was just too, and that meaning that I was too focused on myself hmm. versus what the character was trying to do, assuming you know, the other person he was talking to while well, endowing the other person with whatever it is that I was trying to do. Right. So if you're connected to it, you're going to make sure that that person, you know, if the instruction is that, then it's important. If it's vital that the person doesn't leave the room, you know, say it's your, you have to tell your wife, you know, something before they leave uh, or husband or, you know, someone, something like that. And if they leave the, then if you make mistakes that if they leave the room, then it's done and you're over. So like, then it's on you to go after that. And that's something that I, so that would be for the objective of the character of that person. Whereas, but it was me, Brendan, not being distracted by not being able to say the thing that I said, the way that I rehearsed it, because the guy is not listening and he's leaving the room. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, so, didn't, you didn't expect that in your no. situation, right? Yeah. No, I'd never thought of it doing it that way. I'd never thought that that was like what would happen if what would happen if the circumstances of the exact circumstance that I rehearsed it didn't happen. I was right. not prepared for any of that. Versus like actually being connected. So it was a it was a tough lesson learned, and I and I still didn't get it. And I was like, shit, I don't know what I at the time. I remember I didn't know what I did wrong. Mm. And then it wasn't until like a, a school uh, later on that I found that I um, had a teacher that sort of really sort of slapped it into me, uh, metaphorically, <laughs> to sort of be, yeah, until I found someone to just beat the crap out of me. Then then I got, no. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, 
that uh, to really listen and go off and and look and observe and take in people across from you when you're in the scene and and then connect that back to the words that you're doing and then from there i mean uh, um the sort of next school i did is was all um uh what we just learned um uh plays theater everything where the, all the greatest stories really are told and they're never told the right or wrong way really and you can adapt from them but they're these characters that um have real real circumstances and consequences and when you really dive into that for the character themselves then you start to lose the objectivity of of yourself the the, the sort of how do i look while i'm doing this it's just the, mm-hmm. it's actually, no, I just actively do the things that you're trying to do and it will be, and it will be great. And I guess it's that, yeah, it's how connected you are with that, how, how freely you're able to to do that. Yeah. What, so it's just kind of like for you, it was just kind of like a, something you slowly shed, like this idea of how do I look while I'm doing this? How am I doing that kind of thing? It's just kind of like, it just kind of like layers of an onion, just kind of like peeled away. Yeah. I mean, for you to be where you are, I mean, and you know, I think your work's great. It's like, you're getting more and more at the, like when you're not trying to be anything, right. You're Mm -hmm. just doing the thing and you're doing it truthfully. Yeah. And those unique things come out of you that are, I think, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but something I've witnessed with a lot of uh, actors that I've worked with is like the ones that are really doing it well, they almost are unaware of what makes them intrinsically themselves, you know, or intrinsically in that character. Like it's like uh, you're doing it and it's it's happening. But <laughs> you're not trying to make that happen. It's by doing it. Yes. What you're saying, right? Yeah, exactly. Many any sort of uh, character that you've ever sort of um, that you've in in any sort of famous film, um, I would guess that it was less about like trying to make themselves look a certain way and more about oh they do this because of this this happened in their life, right? And therefore they act this way or they're they have this certain even in their gait and their walk or their posture or this and that, like, um, you know, thinking about why or what that does for you, like as a, as that character to be that way or, you know, um, any kind of like, that's, that's, I think that's a smarter way to, to, to look at it. And then it's sort of rather than like, you know, my, I don't know, I should be, have my arm up three inches over here and then this looks like i'm like uh limping or whatever like versus being very specific about what if you have a a limp or a hunch or something like what vertebra specifically is causing you the pain to hunch over there Hmm. and that's what causes it and you know what i mean like it's being more more specific like that's the key to acting is specificity Right. And it will always get better when you do that. And the more specific you are, the more, the less you have to do because <laughs> that the circumstances take over the specificity takes, takes on itself. 
So, mm-hmm. and that's, that's what helps us um, do what we, yeah. Um, okay. One more question, actually, while we're on this train. Um, of course. So the demand that some actors feel and some get encouraged by teachers even to be interesting, make an interesting choice, you know, that type of thing. What's your, what's your take on that? And uh, what do you think they're really trying to say? And where do you think that maybe gets miscommunicated or misinterpreted? Mm. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess uh, it, whatever that interesting choice needs to be, uh, it, I, I think when they when they say that they mean like you know like your your interpretation of the scene and say you know we always get sides with scenes uh, we don't know the whole story we don't get the whole script so we have to make up those circumstances ourselves so you can I think uh, I think where the the trap would be for an actor to just uh, do something wild and crazy that is not connected to any kind of modicum of truth in the story. That's when it's just like, okay, this is like just wank fest for the actor, you know, like this is the actor getting to, and I've seen that in, in plays. Uh, I saw, <laughs> I remember before in the, in the before times when we could go <laughs> to the play, um, I remember seeing these young actors put this play and it was just, uh, it was a lone star uh, that I'd watched. And, and uh, this, this sort of alpha character just like yelling on the top, like whooping it up and he's stomping and breaking stuff and it's kind of flying towards the audience and stuff like that. It's just like, it was this big show of like, I get to like express and emote and like, I feel good. And then, but I'm sitting in the audience like, I don't believe a minute of what that guy's doing. Like, it's not, it's not grounded in anything. And it's also dangerous because there's like stuff flying on my face. So I don't know who's directing this, but you can't have that happen. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, but, uh, yeah, back to the, so that's like, to in that actor was, I'm just going to, that his choice was, I'm going to go balls to the wall and just start like wrecking shit. Right. And like, maybe that could make sense. Uh, but you have to back it up with like why the character would, would do that. Otherwise it's just, you know, a, a a tantrum for the actor and to the untrained or the sort of the the, na- the naive eye they're going to take that is wow he's like emoting oh this is so cool <laughs> i've never seen a guy like be so angry on stage but like is does it is it connected any do i actually feel any or are you just like impressed that he's yelling and you don't normally yell you know right. i don't know right yeah no that's i think that's a good way to put it yeah, yeah. versus like an interesting choice would be like <clears throat> i mean part of my training is 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 having um you know really being comfortable with all of your emotions being available at any given time which they are they are in reality uh they're all very near to each other um so uh you know you and you can feel any one of them or a combination of any of them at all times and that's normal so is um it can be crazy making but as soon as you sort of accept that that's how we are as as people um you can you can be uh 
more forgiving and more more gentler with that about you i think rather than judgmental mm-hmm. um but if but if say in the scene calls for you to be you know the character is bawling their eyes out for whatever reason and they're all sad and upset about something like what if there's laughter in there as well what if there's you know the the ridiculousness of this thing that is so sad that it makes you laugh Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's not a that's what i just said is not an outlandish proposition right yeah so long as it's grounded in truth yeah so like but if you're just laughing for the you're like being a crazy maniacal laughing then you're just you're crazy and like that's a separate thing but if it's really rooted in like this thing is affecting me so much like i can you know you're you're it, it makes sense and we're gonna believe it even though like in our minds we're like no no i need to be sad right now i need to be i need water coming out of my face that's the only way they're gonna know i'm sad versus like this has affected me so much i'm i've lost i've lost it and i'm you know you know you it, you find yourself hysterically laughing at the whole thing which might be profoundly sadder than just watching someone crying yeah. right and actually may be more sad for the audience because you're yes. watching this person laugh and you know how much yes. it, you understand that yes I, and I'm, like i'm not crying for you lets you cry for them yeah. And the audience, like never underestimate how the audience and how smart they are. And they're following the whole story. So you don't have to telegraph everything. And that's like another mistake that actors make. It's like showing everything all the time. It's like, no, we get the certain, if you play that truth and that sort of human thing that we're going to see, you know, this person say, say they are, they found their way to laughter through like, and we're going to, we know how sad the person is. We just saw what happened prior to this in watching the play of the movie or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So we know that this person, we, we know the person is sad. This other, but we are watching this person find, you know, maybe, yeah, they're, they're putting on a front or they're, they've gone so far that they've, you know, spun, you know, spiraled down into sort of mania. And that's, mm-hmm. so that would be something that's, more interesting than than the traditional I'm upset, I'm angry kind of thing. I think that's what they mean by that. Mm, yeah. As a small example. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah. So it, what um it reminds me of uh <clears throat> the, the first the first exercise that I get every new student that I have to do um mm. uh is one that that my one of my teachers did with with us and i thought it's like oh i'm I'm just gonna keep that i'm gonna i'm gonna carry that on but it speaks to what you're saying um uh pretty much almost like bang on which is it's mm-hmm. it's called the joyous object and i ask everybody just like you know come to the first class with an object that when you you know see it when you touch it or you know the object can be a music for example or mm-hmm. whatever it brings you joy Mm-hmm. Right. And then getting everybody to go up in front of everybody and, and talk about this object and why it's, it's joyful for them. Mm-hmm. And the fascinating thing about it is that there's all of these other emotions that happen <laughs> as people Absolutely. are talking about these items. There's there's sorrow. There's, you know, there's sometimes there's anger. There's um you know, there's memories, there's all kinds of stuff that comes out, but you know, the, it starts out as the joyous 
object. This is a thing mm -hmm. that's joyful, but there's all of these other emotions that are tied up into mm -hmm. it as well. Um, yeah. You know, and and it it conveys so much of everything that as actors we're trying to do, which is, you know, and and I also like to point out to everybody that like, did you plan that you were going to feel, you know, um, that you were going to, you know, maybe start, you know, crying or that you were going to start welling up with tears as mm. you were telling us, you know, and almost nobody was planning on, yeah. you know, their emotions to be what they were. But when they can't mm. just, when you come from a place of meaning where you know mm. what something means to you, um, specifically, as you were saying, you know, like yeah. it does something to us. Yeah. And, and in many ways, that's how I've learned to see acting is that you're trying to get to a place where it does you and you're not doing it necessarily, not to make it sound too esoteric, but you know, yeah. where, where there's something, there's something else that's kind of working on you mm -hmm. that you're not entirely in control of. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like the sense of control perhaps? Yeah. I mean, uh, for sure it's it's that sort of that's that that letting go too of the control for sure and that but that comes specifically with knowing very very and spending a lot of time uh on that character and their circumstances and stuff and that's when i think you can you can find that um that sort of letting letting go of of things because you as the actor are going to have hangups and restrictions and stuff. And it's, you know, our part of training should be just, you know, chip away at those things because it's our job as actors to be um, pretty open, you know, open with our emotions. And, and um, so, yeah, that's, I think when you, when you really let, yes, some of the more beautiful moments and, fun moments that I've had is yeah. When I've found that sort of letting loose and following those emotions, like I talked about just before something comes up with your, you know, in the circumstances that makes you feel something that you might, that, that, that you might not make, may, might not make sense, but you follow it. And then it, it does, it sort of, you just follow that feeling and see where it goes. And, and, uh, oftentimes you'll find you discover sort of new things. And I think that's, that's that trust. That's that letting go of like having to make it perfect or whatever. And maybe that's when you, you grow as a person too, as a, and as an actor uh, to, uh, find those new things. Yeah. Um, if I could kind of turn this direction, I, I, I'd like to kind of talk to you a bit about your story because you've, you've turned yourself into a career actor, like you're full-time actor now. Right. So, um, like, I know th that's such a big thing when you start out as an actor, you know, like I just want to do this full time yeah. and like make it my career. Mm -hmm. Um, one of my, a couple of my favorite like business coaches that I ever listened to, they would talk about how, you know, when someone starts a business, nobody ever talks about those dark nights of the soul, those moments where you like almost walked away and you're like, am I kidding myself? Or you're broke and you're barely eating. 
uh, just to kind of survive and figure out how to kind of keep that going. Um, maybe, uh, I was just wondering, like, were there any dark nights of the soul? Were there any moments where you're like, who am I kidding? Like, who am I thinking to do this? And, um, or was it, was there like, was there just enough of a, like enough of a bite, enough of a crumb to kind of keep going and feel like, okay, I think I got this. I think I got this. I just need a bit more of a, you know, a bit more like, how, how did it work for you? how did you get here? Yeah. I think for me, it, um, um, definitely happened early on. Um, so rather when I was doing that in high school and really enjoying it, I, I, when I sort of got back in and started pursuing acting later in life, I'd wish that I like, Oh, if only I just, you know, continued with it back then. And then I would, you know, I could have done all like the, the teenage roles and the college roles and stuff like that. Cause I didn't start back into training and acting and sort of pursuing it until I was about 26, 27. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah. Maybe 25 out of university I finished. I was 25 uh, 24, 25. And then I, I worked a little bit and then my next, the following sort of school, that's where I started to grow. That's where I met my friends. That's where we started to put on plays and stuff like that. <clears throat> and I think I remember having the thought early on that uh, it was only early on in that where I was like, everyone else in class is like in their teens or twenties. And I'm here, the 27 year old, like old man in the room and i'm like i'm i had this manic sort of desire or to or need to like i gotta catch up i've missed my boat i have to catch up so i was taking like three classes at a time and i was working full-time in set deck and i was like um i was trying to do everything to catch up to it because i thought i had missed my boat i thought that this is because i didn't start sooner this is not going to happen for me um but as soon as I sort of started to embrace that age category, which is actually you work more in, in later than in your teenage years, potentially. Um, and I started to go out for like young dad stuff and like, and I had, um, I just sort of, an, I started to book commercials and I had, I had sort of a natural ability to sort of be uh, the sort of trustworthy sort of dad type <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go with this. And then I get to, you know, work and pay bills and things like that. And, um, and then it sort of snowballed from there and it freed up and I was able to, um, scale back my work in set deck and just work, uh, part-time. And actually at that point I'd known it, it all kind of came together because I'd been working long enough that I knew enough contacts that I could stay busy doing day call work. And I was a desirable day call because I was experienced. Normally day calls are like, those are the extra people. And oftentimes they're like newer people trying to get their days in the union or et cetera. But I was someone who knew what they were doing. I've been on, worked on set as an onset dresser, been a lead dresser, like hired. In front. So you could, I was self-sufficient, et cetera. So I was a, a valuable day call where I could just be trusted to sort of take care of something. Um, and because of that, I was at sort of the top of the list for certain shows at the time. And I would juggle for about <laughs> three, four years, getting a call to go to set at 5 p.m. For, for the next day. I'm like, okay, day of work. Awesome. 5.30, get an audition for the next day as well. 
of course. Like, <laughs> yeah. Called my boss back. Like, hey, can I can I uh, go at lunch to this audition? I gotta go there. And like, yeah, but you just said, yeah, I know. But like, can you let me go? And I'll stay. I'll work through lunch. I'll work through coffee breaks. Whatever. Can I do it? So I'd do that. I'd say yes. I'd go to work. We're working in the pissing rain outside. Leave for my thing. Change out of my muddy, wet clothes and driving my manual transmission car across town. Go to the callback. They're running like 40 minutes behind. Yeah. Try to inhale a sandwich on the way back, change back into my boots and stuff while I'm driving back and pray that no one's going to like be pissed at me. And either time it would be like as if I never left. They're like, hey, pass the drill. Like I just walk in and right there. Or they're like, dude, where the hell were you? Yeah. Like, we just unloaded that massive truck and you weren't here. And I'm just like, <laughs> so any actor out there who's like, knows the struggle of juggling another job. Believe me, I've done it and it, I know it very well. Um, but I think <clears throat> back to sort of your question, have I, did I ever have any moments? I think I had done so much else with my life and this thing was a first love for me. And I kind of did other things. I went to university. I tried to figure out what it is that I wanted to do in life. Came, found my way back to acting, found my way. Um, and I just felt it's just what I enjoyed doing. And as soon as it seemed to be that I was getting some momentum with this, um, it just felt like that's what I'm, that's what I do now. It took me a while to sort of get to that point where just like, <clears throat> no, this is what it, it just sort of slowly snowballed into like in commercial here, commercial there, a day, day on set on some of the show. And then all of a sudden <clears throat> I didn't have to take those day calls. And, uh, and then because I was too busy auditioning for commercials and other things. And then all of a sudden weeks and months go by and I still haven't gone back to set deck and people are still calling. No, I'm still, I can't do it. I'm, Got a busy day of auditions tomorrow, this and that. And then weeks turned into months, turned into years, and then it's still been. But I will say that, like, I never feel, it never feels, even at this point, that it's, that I've got it in the bag. That right. I can kick my feet up and yeah. relax. Even though now I have more time than ever, theoretically, like, free time, because acting is auditions here and then days on set if you're lucky to have a few days on set a month like you're doing all right um and like i you know making more money than i had in the past but um i i don't it is still scary to me i still pay my union dues for iatsi <laughs> in case i ever have to go back and do that job which i would do i haven't had to uh, but i i would if i had to um, because I don't take this for granted. This, um, I do my best at any point. I don't, I, I, I don't know when it, you would get to a point where you can relax, um, in terms of, uh, you know, then maybe, you know, some A-list in terms of like getting offers for jobs and stuff like, uh, you know, if A-listers, you know, they just, they just, they don't audition. They just get calls for stuff or even some other more successful friends that we have. But I don't even know if them, like I, you know, like, is that, can you, 
because the second you take your foot off the gas and stop being proactive and engaged with what you're doing, I I don't think you're going to be as happy, you know, like I, and cause it can change at any time. Like I know friends who've been leads, leads on series, like center of the poster on a series. And then they're back to like doing their day job or whatever. Oh yeah. And they must've thought at one point, like, this is it. Like, here we go. Like on my way. And then back and because yeah, I mean this, like you have this industry owes you nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the, the scary thing as opposed to like a tradesperson, if you become a plumber, an apprentice plumber, and then you join a plumbing company and then you uh, go on travel as a journeyman and then you come back and then you start your own company and then you start your own like boutique plumbing company. You just do high end high rises or, and then you just do like mansions. You know what I mean? Like you will, the, the value you put in or the time you put in, you will become more, more valuable, more specialized in, in what you do. And we still do that that is we get more experience for sure. And that definitely helps. But in terms of converting that into a long standing career, like there's a lot of that that's not in our control. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think especially as a, as an actor, but I mean, as a writer and a filmmaker, it's kind of similar in a lot of ways too. Uh, hmm. But you have to, you, to do this as a professional career full-time, you have to have like faith. Like you have to have faith that like, look, it's all going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it might go down. It might go sideways. Things might happen. You know, obviously we yeah. all through the last couple of years together, it, you know, a lot of plans got thrown out to the side and you kind of oh, got to yeah. be like, Hey, you know what? It's going to be all right. Yeah. And I think that's also what I did at some point because again, I'd done a bunch of other stuff and I found my way back to acting and, based on my work in class, my training, um, and just being asked to be in stuff and, you know, both getting auditions, but also doing plays and like the, you know, my theater company, that's where I really grew as an actor, as a person, because we were literally just doing that for the love of it. Um, in 2010, yeah, we did, our, our theater company was called uh, Ninja Pirates Theater Company. And uh, we, it later called blind pig theater. Uh, but we did, um, we did, we were like a bunch of us were like, we just want to do a play. Let's just do one of these plays, one of these full plays and scenes we learned in class. It was beyond therapy by Christopher Durang. Very common Very scene nice. using class. Great play. And, uh, we put it all up. We rented the space. We, I got to put my set deck skills to use and build sets and work on that and track down furniture and very simple set. And, uh, we put it up and I was in it and we loved it. And I just like, I just had fun. I felt like being, I think we want to, we want to be used. We want to be put to use in our full capacity, you know? And that's when I, when I'm doing plays, I feel like I'm being used, like used up. I mean, not used in the negative sense, but like, um, tapped fully for what it is that I can be doing. And I think whenever you reach that, I would, I would venture to guess in other, in other, wherever you, you, your skill lies when you're really being maxed out for what it is that you can do is, is the fullest sense of fulfillment. You know, like I, I'm not, we didn't, I didn't make a dime. We did 
plays for seven years. Uh, oh, no, sorry. We did seven plays over four years. I was in five of them. I was uh, involved in like art department set deck stuff for most of them. And uh, I got my, maybe one of them made like a hundred bucks, but most of it we just got our expenses paid back. Yeah. And that's it. And I would, I was doing set deck at the time still. And I was, I would take time off of work. I would have to take minimum three weeks off <clears throat> because the show, the run of the show was two weeks. I'd always take the week prior off uh, because we, our rehearsals would be like every day. We're like getting down to the crunch time. Meanwhile, oh yeah, by the way, we would rehearse our plays anywhere from like three to six months, some of them, not like a month or two. And like we spent, cause we loved it and we would meet and I would like be in, on set and work a 12 hour day and run to a play rehearsal for another three, four hours. And I didn't think anything of it. This is what I enjoy. Yeah. And then when we put these up and, yeah, I would take time off even when I was on a show and I would hope that they want me back after because my job is replaceable and set deck. And sometimes it wasn't. It was, they needed someone who was more regular and I had to find more work. But I would come out of those plays being exhausted, but fulfilled, but completely broke. <laughs> yeah. Because I hadn't worked in three weeks. <laughs> and, but I was happy to do that. I mean, it's, it is amazing what, when you're fulfilled, what you will do. Like, yeah. I think that's what people who, who don't pursue their passions and dreams don't really understand. Um, they, yeah. they kind of look at actors, um, and, and filmmakers and musicians and stuff like that. They're like, you're kind of crazy to want to live that life. But it's like, when you're fulfilled, you'll, you'll do weird shit. <laughs> you'll stay up all night studying lines. You'll, you know, you'll, yeah. you'll work a whole day. And then just to, just to be able to work on set a whole day, you know, you'll yeah. do all sorts of stuff to like yeah. make it work. Yeah. Um, but that fulfillment, it's like, you don't really get tired the same way someone who doesn't have fulfillment in their life gets tired because yeah. you have purpose and passion and connectedness. Yeah. You know, you, something you're doing, something you're aiming for, you know? Yeah. It's the same thing when like, yeah, it's, it's, you, you're expending your energy, but it's not, uh, um, it's not draining on you because you're, you're just simply just sort of emptying the gas tank as you're doing it. like you're, um, but it's not like causing harm to the machine. Right. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. For. That's a good way to put it. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't want to take this metaphor too much further. I'm going to start asking Chris, questions. About let's them. just make it, let's um, let it be. So if you change the oil and manage the spark plug. <laughs> anyways, um, but uh, <clears throat> you know what I mean? It's the same with when you're doing a play or you're doing a scene in class. And so for anyone listening, actors in classic, like you, when you're, say the scene is emotional in some way or form you should never come out of that feeling that emotion if you you know if it's an argument in the scene you should never you come out of the scene you're like oh, fucking angry like oh, i'm gonna go on you know rex like it's your when you're lending yourself to those characters for that it should just be sort of you should just you should feel a bit tired but you should feel if you really sort of gave yourself over to you should feel just a bit tired and but somewhat happy and just sort of peaceful i think mm. i think that's a good sign of like when you've when you've given what you've done what you've what you can to something well i i've my experience is that there's like an afterglow 
You know, it's like, mm. yeah, there's this sort of like this, this, this tiredness, but you know, you're, it's like you yeah. are sitting in an afterglow of just being like, oh, yeah. like, yeah, I, it's, like, it's like refreshed almost in a way. Exactly. Like there's, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I just remember, you know, weeks and weeks of, you know, classes and scene studies that I've done. And we do three month terms at a time and sit with one scene for three months. Um, and you learn something every week and that end of the class would be on Saturday, say, and or Sunday. And, <clears throat> you know, by the time we get through everything and you do your scene, you just come, you just sort of, yeah, you're tired, but you're, you feel like you did something that you enjoyed that day. And yeah, the ref refreshed is a good, good way, but some, you know, yeah, some days are harder for sure. Yeah. If you worked on some stuff that affects you a bit more personally, but uh, yeah, I think that's, a good sign so yeah hey it's evan with a quick public service announcement if you're enjoying the conversation you're hearing and finding it helpful then please help us and take a second to subscribe to the podcast and we can all be people helping other people and that's awesome now back to the show mm -hmm. and sometimes i find it's interesting that you never know exactly what the audience is picking up on <clears throat> in what you're doing mm -hmm. You know, like, um, I've had experiences where, uh, you know, I felt like I was struggling. Like, for, like for example, like the last play I did, um, I remember the our second night, our second night, and it was all of us. All of us felt like we were just, like, it just wasn't happening, mm. you know. And, uh, and at some point, just being like, okay, well, this is just, this is what it is. And, and I'm I, for this just is not feeling good. And the rest of the night felt like me just like fighting to listen, fighting to, to really be responsive and, and pay attention and, and that sort of thing. Mm. And what was this struggle for me later on, people who are watching the show and, and some of them were actors were like, came up and said some of the like the the paid me some of the best compliments I've ever received as mm. an actor and I was like oh okay so you know what you're picking up on and and how you're interpreting what's what's coming through um can be so um I don't know th that that's something that of course we don't have any control over that to a certain extent but that's mm. something that that was really fascinating to me Mm -hmm. in terms of um i don't know exactly if i have a question to go with that but i don't know there was something about what we were talking about that that just made me think of that well can i say i would say that you know i would t i would tell actors that keep in mind that the audience is projecting onto you their own world and their own life and their mm -hmm. own perception and interpretation i i saw an actor who is an actor we probably all know I think he's a really great actor. I think he's fantastic. Uh, they put up a play and I went to see it and I'm just, you know what? I'm going to sit back. I'm going to enjoy this play. I'm like, cause sometimes I can get super critical and like, mm. you know, and I just, I, ha I, I've been training myself to like, just sit back and, and just let's enjoy the play. Let's enjoy the movie, whatever you're doing. And I'm like, I'm just going to sit back. And I watched it and I was like, that was a great play. It was super entertaining. I thought everyone did a great job. And uh, I talked to him afterwards 
And I, t- I think I talked to the cast, you know, they invited me back to talk to them. Big deal here to play, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, and I thought it was great. And they were like, well, you know, and they were talking about all the technical acting stuff and like things that it's like, well, you know, and I was like, in my mind, because I kind of turned that off and I just sat back like an audience member, I was like, you know, none of that mattered to me. Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny. I thought you guys uh, were connected. I uh, I related to the struggle. I laughed. Uh, I didn't necessarily cry, but I felt those moments, you know. Um, and I think uh, a lot of times actors forget that um, maybe for your peers when you're in acting class, maybe they're watching your technique because they're trying to learn technique and trying mm-hmm. to improve on that. But the general audience member, they're there to enjoy a story, a narrative. Yeah and a play. And if you give them an experience, like a lot of like my parents' friends are like, how did you remember all those lines? Like, yeah, that's, yeah. like that's their comment, right? Like yeah. you have no idea what I did. Yeah. That's the classic like parent, parent yeah. thing. Any yeah. parents like, how did you yeah. remember all those lines? I was like, okay, well, that's yeah. what you take away. From. Yeah. But no, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, and that's the one thing that people and actors need to remember is 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 their their experience of of you is um something not that you can't necessarily control like it's they're seeing what they want to see and like those mistakes um they'll read it as a as another way like they're if they're following the sort of story and there's a part where you know i i'm sometimes i'm bad at that too when i'm doing self tapes and i i, I want to get it get it out the way that I have in mind because there's a little hiccup here or there's a line flub here and this and that, but those line flubs like might be the part, the, the thing that gets you the role sort of thing, you know, because yeah. you just, that character would stumble in that time or that little hiccup was a more real thing because it was, it was a real thing. It was you in that moment, like, uh, missing or forgetting something or whatever and that's a true moment so we can't it is important to like not discount that sometimes because they are um that is what they, and like just yeah to your point there were a couple times in plays over the years where we would do the same thing and something technical went horribly wrong and a couple like major examples but one that sticks in my mind was uh, it was uh we did Suburbia by Eric Bogosian. And it was one of my favorite plays we ever did. It was, uh, we did, it was the first play ever at Ghost Studios in Vancouver here. And we built a, and the, the play takes place on the, the corner of a, of a corner store, at 7-Eleven specifically in some small town U.S. And all the kids hang out there and, um, you know, they're all friends and high school friends, et cetera. So we built this convenience store on the stage with a payphone and a, a rooftop that one character goes to. And then like a, a little part of the store, we can go in and see them through the window and buy stuff. And then there's an altercation with the store owner at some point. And anyways, a bunch of stuff happens. And our closing night, we sold out, of course. They always sell out closing night because all your friends didn't come to your play the previous week when there were plenty of tickets available. Uh, and then they call you uh, t- with two shows left and they're like, where can I get tickets? It's sold out online. Like, how do I get in? And like, yeah, no, uh, you can't come. It's sold out. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, uh, classic, every single person ever in any play. Um, but uh, 
this one, of course, it was the closing night, that little space, there's people on the floor in front. Somehow we let them sit on the floor, almost encroaching on the stage. They're almost like half lit by the stage lights. It's it's in the summer. It's like July. It was so hot, I remember. And the, the last scene of the last show, uh, there's a very dramatic moment where I just, where someone is, I mean, I sort of half give it away. Someone is holding someone else in their arms and they're, they're dead. And the play kind of ends with that sort of like, sort of harsh reality thing. And uh, it's supposed to be this sort of big moment. And this is when, you know, reality hits all these kids and, and then the lights fade. And then you're just like, wow. And, and that night, the final night, the light board overheated and the switchboard wouldn't dim the lights. And then my friend is holding my other friend and like, wake up, wake up. And the lights don't fade. And we're all like, what's happening? And then you're supposed to like exit the stage in the blackout and we all come out and dig a bow. And so like, we start kind of creeping out from behind the stage. Like what's happening? Is there something wrong? And we all kind of saunter on the stage. And, you know, my buddy's like, my friend who's dead, like wakes up and stands up and it's just like this horrendously <laughs> awkward thing. And we're all just like, and my friend is the director's just like, he's just, he's just not moving and just like raging inside. You can see, yeah. and everyone's applauding and everyone's just like, whoa. And they loved what they saw and everything. And all of us, all we could, anyone could think about is like, we completely fucked up the last moment of this like everyone saw this completely come crashing down at the end because the lights didn't dim and that wasn't at all what people saw i mean yes some people who are familiar with it clearly thought something was wrong but not don't know why they don't know how the play was directed right yeah like you could have directed the play like that yeah Weirdly. yeah there was someone who was totally in the audience who was like it's like i love the choice to just yeah, totally. like <laughs> it just sort of ends and then all the people come out and they don't know what's happening we don't know because like the person died and it all makes sense like you know what i mean like that's what you don't know like because that is a director's choice of like how that's i mean it is written in the play but i mean you can do whatever when it comes to that you just have to stay down yeah. the words you can direct a play however you want so like, you know, and then all of us, and I remember friends coming up and like, oh man, that was so good. And we we're like, I was being like, oh, I know, but like the light thing at the end, yeah. I was like, huh? Yeah. What? What are you talking about? Like, oh, dude, come on. Like, you know, they, they saw it, but like, it was down the list, like so far down the list that it didn't matter for them. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, I, yeah. and that's a, like, that's a, like, that's the thing, right. Is like your entire your entire work is not hinged on one moment. You know, I think yeah. people as it, sometimes I think the perfectionist part of us is like, Oh, we just, we didn't get it all right. And I think, I think that actually is a failure of our basic education. You know, like growing up that you, you know, that getting a hundred percent is somehow the, the ideal. Whereas mm -hmm. in artistry, I don't really think that is the measure of success. And I don't think people always realize that when they come into the arts, um, there's a story I've shared it on the podcast before and Evan's heard it, but uh, I was doing an acting scene in an acting class and uh, it was some uh, relationship scene and I was cooking like uh, pasta and, or some, one of us was, and <laughs> we spilled the pasta all over the ground. And for the rest of the scene, we're dealing with this pasta that's on the floor in the apartment. And I remember, and that wasn't planned. Like, oh, fuck, 
Like, mm-hmm. this is fucking everything up. And I'm trying to do the scene and I'm just like, but like, what was going on for me? Because everything just feels like it's fucked up. People are like, bravo, bravo, yeah. like so great, right? Because something real happened that was totally unexpected. And if you if you knew the direction, you'd know that it went wrong. Yeah. But it didn't really go wrong because it's like you got to kind of dance yeah. with the mistake in a way, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I know that's the thing. I one like real quick example of that that I saw recently. I don't know if you guys watched Squid Game. Um, but yeah, yeah. the the very, very first uh episode, uh the main character who we we get is like he's well meaning, but he's messed up a bunch of times. And he does care about people, but he's also kind of insecure and he's you know, he's gotten into this crazy state of debt and et cetera. Anyways, the scene where he's uh running through this um so he's running away from the cops or whatever and he bumps this woman who ends up being this like pickpocket and ends up like when that happened he actually did that on purpose and stole his wallet or whatever but the the scene that they kept was him running that he bumped at the time she's holding like a bubble tea or something it falls to the ground and rather than him keep running he stopped ran back picked up the cup and put it back in her hand like sorry 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 and then he keeps running and that was fully an actor's choice. And to the point where you can see, they've talked about this, you can see the actress, she's kind of shying away from camera because she started laughing because of how like funny it was that he he rushed back and picked up this stupid cup or whatever. And you can just see a crack in her spot, and then they cut away from that. But that was like a natural thing where like you couldn't write that almost like or do it as well. Yeah. But that was yeah. the actor being fully in the character of like he's still... He's running, he's being pursued by the cops, but he still feels bad about bumping into someone and making them spill the drink. So mm-hmm. he goes back. Like, that's where that guy's at. Yeah. And he dealt with that in the moment, right? Like, he could have ignored that, but that created this, like, beautiful little magic moment. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's a good yeah. point. Yeah. It's worth following that and see where it goes, always. Yeah. Let's well, um, let's take a little beer break. Yeah, let's take a beer break. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm drinking uh, a, you know, this is a, a, a staple from uh, Parallel 49. This is, I'm drinking their Filthy Dirty IPA, nice. which um, I realized it's like, oh yeah, I, I've got to be careful sometimes about about these ones because this one's 7.2%. Um, <laughs> <Sneak> no, <laughs> try, try not to do too many of the strong beers during a, during a, a podcast, but it's been good. Other day. Yeah, <laughs> middle of the day, just rest of the day just gets written off. Yeah, yeah. I got a yeah. I went and got uh, right near me. I'm the closest brewery to me. There's a bunch near me, but uh, is Brassneck. There's the Kolsch. Uh, What's it called? Uh, yeah. Is it got yeah, a it's name? Called, it's called Klutz. K L K L U T Z apostrophe. And uh, yeah, I like the lighter beers myself. I'm uh, not big on the hoppier stuff. I just like sort of more traditional Bavarian German lager types, Kolsch's and Saison's and lighter stuff. So I used to be like you. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't want a hoppy beer. I don't want an IPA. But uh, they grew on me uh, actually because we've done like hundreds, <laughs> hundreds right. of recordings now. And right. you just... It's weird. It's like, uh, like over time I started to acquire a taste for it, but, um, uh, tonight or today, this afternoon, whichever you want to call it, 
I'm having a uh, a pilsner, and this is from Russell Brewing. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't even schna, schnapside. <laughs> Can you guys read that? Schnapside. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's good. It, it, it's like a. I don't know. I, I, I'm saying I don't like it. It's just so much different than I expected. It's like a man's beer. It tastes like a, it almost has like a, like I feel like when, when there's like a cologne, <laughs> it sounds horrible, but it's like this smell that I relate very much to like the, or this, this sense, like it's a masculine thing. Um, so it's a very, uh, it's, it's a very unique flavor to a Pilsner. It's, it's kind of unlike anything else that I'm used to. But it's pretty tasty. Um, that's what I'm having. And it was just, uh, let's try this. I haven't had this one before. Nice. So that's all it is today. Nice. I, I imagine it's got to have schnapps in it based on the name. So Yeah, schnapps, 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 I don't know. I'm probably yeah. saying it terribly wrong, but... Well, yeah. they colored it yeah. with, some, with something. It's not your straight <laughs> pilsner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Well, uh, shall we shall we uh, ask Brendan uh, our our seven questions? Oh. Our seven questions. Oh yeah, destiny? let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, we have a uh, we have a few questions we like to ask everybody when they come on the show. Um, okay. So I'll go first, Evan. All right. So tell us, what's the most important book you've ever read? Um, most important book I've ever read. Um. I think I think it's gonna be. I really enjoyed. Uh, for some reason, coming to my mind, I think Catch Twenty Two is really great. Um, it's such a good foundation for the comedy, and it is just great. I never sort of written read anything that has comedy that seemed just made sense to me, and. Um, uh, obviously is the sort of, um, the, where that's the, where the phrase comes from in that book. But, um, yeah, it's a, I, I think any kind of roots of comedy for me are important and that I, that I think about. So that's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, the sort of dry humor is, is where, where it's at for me. It so it's like thing. a catch 22. It's like a fictional, like a novel. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, that's where this the phrase comes from, and basically something that happens in in the book. But um, oh, that yeah, book they did make started that book started the phrase. Correct. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. What's the yeah. what, what is the book about? Can you give us a brief? It's it's about a story of like a soldier in 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 war, basically. But um, uh, yeah, it's um, in this sort of and the characters he sort of meets and stuff like that. So, um. Yeah, I, I mean, just an example of like there's a character named Major, and then his, I think his last name is, or and then becomes a major in the armies, and he's like Major Major, no. and then I don't know, <laughs> then he becomes like Major Major Major. I don't know. It uh, it just there's a lot of I think it's that combined with like I don't know sort of Monty Python humor early on, like you're saying, Evan. Mm. Like, um, yeah. I don't know. It was uh, it was a good sort of, I a good foundation of of humor and stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah. 
good cool. everyone yeah great all right yeah, yeah. your next your next question yeah what film has had the greatest impact on you hmm First one that comes to mind is Pulp Fiction. Um, I think that because I saw it when it came out um, and it really, I remember seeing it at a friend's house. We we're all watching, my friends had already seen it and I was watching for the first time and it kind of blew my mind. And that was like Tarantino stuff sort of opened my eyes to quirky writing and this and the, his use of, music in, in the in the movies of pairing that with emotions uh in, in in the in the film and just sort of the wackiness of it the the non sort of linear aspect of it the different characters and how it all ties together as a story and all these sort of we're jumping back and forth through time and then all of a sudden they meet and one character killed another character but we already saw them you know in another scene and before when they how they got there that day and something like that like every, everything about it. and just it was just badass and the, the guns and the swords and the, all that and like it was i don't know all the things that a young sort of teenage boy wanted to see and like yeah it was uh i think that was like wow this is a how cool would it be to like be in this movie like as one of these as like john travolta or something like or you know Bruce Willis at the time. And yeah, I don't know. I, and I did. And to the point that my first thing that I did on stage was the Christopher Walken watch monologue in like eighth grade. <laughs> I think I was like 13 or 14 talking about shoving a watch up my ass. And it was like, I didn't like, like, I don't know why I just, and my, my dad found a costume for me, like a military jacket and like a hat. And I went and got to a, like a, like a thrift store and got a watch and ripped the straps off and like had the watch there. And for something about the, for some reason, like that scene was just, and I, back then, uh, you, there's no, God, I'm dating myself horribly, but there's no internet to go and like find all the scripts for anything. So I sat there with my VHS tape pausing and rewinding and fast forwarding and transcribing the entire scene on a pad of paper. And that's how I learned it. And, and it, that was another example of me, like, you know, not really knowing what I'm saying, but like just sort of hitting it. And I don't really know if I was doing an impression of him. I wasn't that also, that was before the, the sort of trope of the Christopher Walken impression it was just, I just liked the way he delivered that crazy story. So, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the, uh, we get, we get more and more depth as we go, but uh, let's do another one. What what's a song or an album that takes you somewhere? Huh. Um, it takes me somewhere. Uh, a song or an album. Um, oh, I have so many that I could think of. I think one of the, so I, one of my biggest sort of influential years was I, my third year at UBC, I lived in Paris for a year on exchange. I turned 21 when I was there. And uh, back then, you know, like as you're younger, years go by slower, you know, and that it was, wasn't even a full year. And it felt like this eternity, this other life that I lived. And um, 
when I was there, I was, that's when I had like my mini disc player that I like downloaded music on Napster and then loaded on to mini discs and walked around town and listened to, uh, music. And, uh, yeah. And right before that, um, I mean, there's a lot of songs. I had a friend there who sort of made me playlists. Um, it's actually a, 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 a romantic story, like a girl that I, I fell in <laughs> love with there, um, that never really sort of happened, but she was a close friend and made me like, made me mix tapes back when they were mixed CDs and did all the collage artwork and stuff like that. And there's a couple of songs on there that take me right back to that. Um, but also before that, I think, I guess if I'd be specific, the, the Emily soundtrack, the movie, Emily, um, by Jan Tiersen. Um, it's just all instrumental, but I would walk around Paris listening to that. <laughs> and, uh, every song on there just takes me transports me back there for sure as like kind of cliche as that sounds it's like you know accordion and <laughs> piano and a very 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 french movie uh but it but it does the job it takes me back to my own experience uh, there which was which was formative in so many ways so yeah mm. where do you think creativity comes from Hmm. You are getting deeper. Uh, <clears throat> where do I think creativity comes from? Uh, I think it comes from supportive people around you. I think whether it's parents, whether it's someone else, um, I think it comes from instincts, but I think it comes, I think it's very helpful to have supportive people to sort of identify that those are things that um that are whatever it is that you're doing is is something creative um yeah i mean that's i would assume most people and their kids if you have a kid is playing around with you know a piano or something like that and coming up with something and like someone goes like, oh, that sounds pretty fun. Or like that little thing you did there, whatever. That would feel like that little idea would snowball into something, you know, that I create some something more creative and pushing sort of creativity. Oh, maybe if I do that a little bit more and then, then they start plucking actual notes and then they start taking lessons and then they sort of do other stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, that's just the answer that I thought of. I think it's... I think it is in you, but I think it very much helps to have um, people see you for that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. To have it like nurtured and encouraged. That's a yeah. really interesting take. I, we never heard that on the show before, but I think that's, that's very true. Very relevant. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't think anyone, I mean, I, I suppose if you were born in a vacuum, and would you still create stuff? I don't, I think you, but I think as people, we want to share. And if you're just doing it, it might be self-expression at some point, I guess. But um, I think ultimately want, we want to share that with other people. So, yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. Well, this will be interesting. Uh-huh. How do you find inspiration? How do I 
me, Brandon, or how does one find How does one and maybe share us as well how you do it? Hmm. Well, <clears throat> I think inspiration always comes from uh, people. I think it, it can come from anywhere, but it, you know, it can, it comes a lot from the people who, uh, are, did the thing you're doing before you. That's why I think when actors, artists in general, but actors have trouble sharing or wanting to share or this somehow there's this sort of artist paradox of if you share, you know, your art is your expression. So if you try to monetize it or share it, then it, you know, belittles it or makes it less worthy because it was never the intention. It was just to share the expression of it. And, um, you know, and I can see that and I, you know, want to be more precious around that. But then I would say to those people that, you know, where did you get your inspiration? Probably from artists who shared what they were doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like you would not know what you're doing necessarily if you're getting into painting or something. You've probably seen some paintings by Dali or, you know, uh, you know, Picasso or whatever. And those guys were like whores when it came to their sharing. You know, they just, they were like, I mean, they're maybe a bit too extreme, but like they made it known what they did. Mm. And so I, can you go too far in another one direction? Sure. I think when it comes to that, but uh, I think, um, yeah, it, it comes from, from people who, who share what they do. Um, and yeah, and there's a balance of, of it being a selfish thing, but also wanting to affect others, which I think is what we all want to do. Hmm. but but also yeah but then on the other hand yeah you can get inspiration from your own private experiences through nature through traveling through things like that i think i definitely definitely get get that switching up your environment i think is another example of that yeah what would you what one piece of advice would you tell your childhood self? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> um, I wonder, I think maybe be, don't be, don't give in to the fear as much. I think that would be, I think I was probably pretty fearful. I was very cautious as a young, sensitive kid. So I think I would have learned a lot more had I dove in a bit more. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think that's, I think, yeah, well, you, you find growth when you give in to, when you step aside from the fear and you, you go for stuff, right? Like I think, yeah. And even with my career and stuff like that, like it could, all of it could have easily not happened, but I took a stab at it at some point and, uh, and got somewhere. So I think that's, that's, uh, yeah, 
think I would say that. Take your shot. <laughs> yeah. Shoot your shot or whatever sure. they say. Yeah. The kids. All right. Yeah. <laughs> One last question, man. Yeah. What would your future self tell you today? Uh, um, take more time for friends and family. I think, uh, I think that's a common thing and end of days for people is had not much else matters, but like people and, and especially family. And you never know when things are going to, you know, your family is parents are not around forever and, um, friends come and go. And I think it's, uh, I, I had made a lot of sacrifice to get to where I am when people see, you know, me having had a career, whatever you see from it, but I gave up a lot of big moments in life, um, to, to get to where I am. And, and I don't regret it because those moments were, were, uh, formative and really took my career to the next level, but, um, they're hard pills to swallow. Nevertheless, I've missed out on once in a lifetime trips, um, funerals, weddings, friends, plays in other cities, um, chances to pursue a relationship in another place. Like one after the other, I've spent thousands of dollars on plane tickets and thrown it all out so that I could pursue my career. And I think what do I wish I did all of those things too? I, I can't say that because then I wouldn't have got the other things, you know, but I think it's taught me to sort of trust more that you you're still going to get there. That if you turn down that one gig for that one special thing that like, that's not the end of your career, that you're still, that certain things in life are more important um, to, for yourself than just, you know, uh, a Hallmark movie um, supporting dad role or whatever. <laughs> you know, maybe that thing might be a big thing for you. And they, it was in the past, not, nothing against those movies, but um, I just think you need to um, listen to that more, prioritize it more. Um, yeah. That's yeah. I think, I think that is part of the, you know, part of the journey. It's like uh, when you do your art or your creativity, like er in the early stages, it's, like almost, especially when you get really committed to it, it's like everything gets put aside so yeah. that I could do this thing. And then I think as you mature in your artistry, which not everyone does, a lot of people drop out of it, but if you yeah. do mature into it, um, your values shift, I think, to a more um, balanced and really a more authentic place because maybe early on it's like, I have to do this because if I don't do this, I'll never make it. I'll never do whatever I'm trying to do. But then, you know, for myself, um, the ability to say no and the ability to put my priorities in certain areas ahead of that actually makes my work and my opportunities better. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. You need to have life experience to bring to your life as an actor. Right. Like, unless you're playing an actor, <laughs> yeah. whatever you're doing, you're probably another type of person. You're, yeah. uh, you, you know, the character does another job other than acting. So go and get life experience and skills and stuff to bring to that. Um, and that's, that will make you just 
a more interesting actor and a more interesting person for sure. Mm-hmm. So that's what I say. Well, sir, is there uh, anything you would like all of our listeners to know about you? What can they, where, where can they find you or can they learn more about you? Do you have, huh. any, what, what do you got coming out that people can see in? Where do you want to direct people? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm on the social medias at uh, Mr. Brendan Taylor, Mr. Brendan Taylor at put the at in front of it or else it'll just be typing out letters. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can find me on there. Um, I'm actually have a uh, commercial acting seminar, my first venture into uh, group teaching. I, I do teach privately and coach privately. You can find me and contact me for your audition needs, whether it be Zoom or come to my studio in Vancouver. Uh, but yeah, uh, the November 21st, I don't know if this is going to be out by then, but I'm doing a Zoom uh, seminar with uh, Deb Barnes at Vancouver Casting. And uh, she's a casting director, has been doing it forever. I've, I'm an actor. I've done a lot and a lot of commercials and uh, combining our forces to sort of give um, our, uh, our ultimate info and, and hopes to lead more to some in-person workshops down the road that uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. And then you can see uh, we're shooting Firefly Lane season two right now. That'd be out next time or next year sometime. Uh, It's going good. And then I also production design. I took my, uh, put my hat back on for that or I set decorated my friend, Anthony Shim's uh, second feature. I did the first one too called Daughter. It's on Amazon. Um, You can go rent it. Uh, But the one we shot this year is called Rice Boy Sleep. Uh, It shot it on film. Uh, 16 mil and uh, they actually just finished shooting in Korea uh, it's a story of a Korean uh, Korean immigration uh, story uh, set it in Vancouver in the 90s but they also yeah they managed to bring a bunch of film on a on an airplane and take it to Korea and shoot the rest of it on his family's uh, rice farm um, so anyways looking forward to that it's a special film uh, that'll be out again probably sometime next year and uh, yeah that's that. Oh, that's fantastic, man. It's been really great to like hear your story and hear some of your insights. You know, I think, uh, um, oh. you know, as a, uh, for a lot of people out there who are kind of trying to navigate a creative career, I think you gave some really good insight on just, you know, that it's, uh, it, it takes a little bit of, uh, you know, spinning some plates. <laughs> yeah. It does. You know? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Absolutely. It does. And you're on the right track if you're spinning the plates, but you're still pursuing the thing that you want and it is worth it and it can happen, but also don't ever take it for granted. And, uh, I think if it really matters to you, then you won't, um, and you'll know how lucky you are to be able to do it. Thank you for listening in on our conversation today. We hope you found something helpful that you can carry forward with you. Head over to our website, wayoftheartist.com, for more free exclusive material and learn about the show. If you haven't already, please support us by subscribing to the show, sharing it with people you know, and keeping compassionate, creative conversation going.